So there is a real, I think that is the real danger in the, in the near future is these groups are going to have opportunities to recruit a lot more, you know, followers into their, into their ranks. Um, because a lot of these governments, even the economic, the, the economies in some of these countries are just going to be so depressed for such a, you know, a long period of time that um, it's, it's going to open it up for even more of that going forward. I'm your host, Andrew Holland. I recently sat down to discuss terrorism, Middle East security, and the impacts of coronavirus with longtime ASP fellow Ken Robbins. Ken's a retired Army officer with more than 20 years of experience serving in tactical, operational, and strategic level assignments. He taught classes on politics at West Point and most recently served as a special assistant to General Odierno, then Chief of Staff to the U.S. Army. We started off talking narrowly about coronavirus and ISIS. But like every conversation I have with Ken, we ranged around the world. I thought his recommendation to up-and-coming officers to learn Chinese really reinforces the idea that we're entering a new age of great power competition. Now, let's get to the discussion. Ken Robbins, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Andrew. It's great to see you. Yeah, good to see you. We're all socially distant here, but we're making it work one way or another. Yeah, we have to during this time, right? Yeah. So uh, let's go right into it. Uh, you served as an inf- infantry officer in Iraq uh, and in Bosnia, and, and so you've seen these uh, sort of alternative forms of government, whether it's terrorists or international criminal groups or, or such like that, uh, and how they sometimes take advantage of, of uh, other things. Do, do you see um, these asymmetric group, groups uh, looking at coronavirus as a, uh, a a new way to take control of activities? I, you know, the, the jury is probably still out. It's too yeah. early to know whether or not uh, groups are going to be successful in taking advantage of the current situation. Of course, they're going, all of them are going to try in their own ways to do that. Um, as they do with any situation that presents itself, they're going to try to find where they can fit into that and use that to their advantage. Um, as it relates to coronavirus, obviously the biggest thing we're seeing, or at least I'm seeing um, as I look across the spectrum, is a lot of the groups are trying to use it from a propaganda standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, trying to you know to either you know talk about this as a as a plague on the West. You see the, that language, which is pretty common. Um, you see certain groups like ISIL using it against Iran, right? We know Iran got hit pretty hard by the coronavirus and is, yeah. is dealing with it. And we've seen a lot of, of comments from them that this is, you know, somehow punishment to Iran and the Shia population. Um, so, so at least early on, that's, I think, been the biggest thing that this happened is the groups have tried to, to, you know, to try to use it in a propaganda standpoint. So almost propaganda conflating with their religious message that this is both a punishment uh, from the West, but also a punishment almost from God, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. You've seen some language about punishment from God, you know, punishing the, the you know, we've seen, especially with Al-Qaeda, it's a punishment on the West and Western civilization, um, which is, this is very common for them, right? They've used situations like this in the past where they, they'll try to use any event that happens and kind of twist it in their way and use the propaganda, um, again, as a, as a message out there to their believers um, that, you know, this is, um, you know, that this is something that, you know, the West has been, you know, 
bringing upon themselves or they've invited this upon themselves and that's why it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. You know, they, they operate social media and propaganda accounts as well. And, And so we've seen there's actually Al Qaeda has put out official guidance to their members on COVID-19, how to social distance in a uh, proper Islamic way and everything like that. Yeah, and that, that's another interesting point as well is, you know, clearly they're aware of the dangers of COVID, right? I mean, this, right. Is, this is probably unlike almost anything else we face in the sense that it's truly impacting the entire world. I mean, nobody is immune from COVID. No country is immune, no group is immune. So whether they want to be or not, they, they have to take precautions for their own members and their own groups. Um, the, one of the fears is, of course, as they are now probably restricting some of their activity because they don't want to be exposed to COVID, that is, they are spending more time online. Um, and because people are socially distancing and staying at home, there's a lot more people online right now yeah. across the globe. And so now there's that opportunity for that, you know, for them to recruit even more heavily um, and use, again, use the propaganda to their advantage and, and, and get access to people that maybe weren't at home and maybe weren't paying attention as closely, but have a lot more time on their hands. So I, I think as, as we look back, probably, and, and I know there's a lot of groups out there that really study the social media trends of, of terrorist groups. I think that's going to be one thing we're going to see is they, they've really probably stepped up their recruiting um, and their online presence in social media channels because uh, it's a huge opportunity for them to, to find new members. Yeah, the, the people, uh, people stuck at home uh, don't have better things to do. Uh, so, so then you have these violent extremists, you know, pushing in their propaganda. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, certainly it, we, we wouldn't call ourselves propaganda, but we, we've definitely seen a, a bump in uh, people going to our website and, and everything. Just yeah, sure. Probably seen it. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of, as we know, there's a lot of conspiracy theories that are circulating about the COVID virus, um, which, again, that just it makes it easier for these groups to be able to kind of weave that into their narrative and use that for recruitment as well. Um, you know, I'm 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 looking for as I look you know, across uh, groups, I'm looking for things like, you know, this was an invention of the West. Uh, that the West intentionally did this, um, you know, and that they're lying about their death tolls. They're really, they did this to try to attack us. And, you know, we're, I expect we'll see some of that kind of language that will come out as well. Yeah, of course, we've seen, uh, we've sen- seen that sort of disinformation campaign starting coming from the Chinese, where you'll have some of the, the Chinese government officials insinuating that, no, no, actually, this was an American invention, uh, you know, because of course our government has been pushing back on them and, and trying to, to sanction them for it. So, yeah. And that's, a, that's probably the, you know, that's probably going to continue. And that, that just adds to the confusion that, you know, how this actually started and groups are going to try to take advantage of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it is interesting, right? It's the same sort of uh, tactics that you actually see from some of the, the domestic American, uh, hate groups or propaganda groups or, or kind of the the conspiracy theory people and everything it, it it's it's all kind of the same thing and and disinformation is so easy to do over the internet uh that it's difficult to actually figure out who's what who's uh who's doing what and what's what's important yeah and it's interesting now is because you're seeing groups that 
you know, different groups starting to like basically not align, but they're, they, they're bouncing the information off one another. Like, so, so one group will start it, it will bounce into another group and then it will bounce back into another. And so by the time you get to that second and third, you know, bounce, people are actually treating it as if it's like mainstream, you know, legitimate information um, because so many groups have touched it. And that makes it even harder when you're trying to fight against that because, um, you know, it, it's appearing in so many different locations that it, you know, it becomes like, well, this must be true. I'm seeing it everywhere and everybody's talking about this. And of course, you know, we, we like you said, China has been doing this and, and we know the Russians are doing it and others, uh, which only adds to the, you know, the, the misinformation that's getting circulated out there. I think it was a Winston Churchill quote, quote that was uh, a lie will get halfway around the world before uh, the truth gets its shoes on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and it's true. It's, it's difficult to keep up with these things. Uh, you know, I, I've been interested, though, in looking at some of these, whether it's ISIS or criminal gangs or something like that, uh, these alternative uh, power centers, uh, alternatives to government, because the coronavirus is really, I think, exposing a lot of uh, government failures. And so in places where governments aren't as strong and aren't as able to, to hold power uh, and wield power, uh, you know, basically where, where it's contestant, contested, you have these alternative groups almost setting up alternative governments. And actually some of them are better at enforcing social distancing than the government. So there's in Brazil where, you know, the Bolsonaro government has, has not been very strong against it. We've seen some, uh, you know, some gangs enforcing it in there, in the cities. And, uh, you know, it, it, it is really, uh, I, I, I do worry a bit about the kind of government legitimacy coming into question when they fail in its most basic task keeping people alive. Well, what's interesting is this This has kind of been the modus operandi for terrorist groups for a long time, right? Like when you look back at, you know, Hezbollah, um, one of the things they were able to do so successfully is they filled the void where the government services were lacking. Mm -hmm. um, and, and they, you know, things like basic medical service, basic, you know, infrastructure and, and, and whether, you know, even simple things like get trash disposal, they filled that void, which, you know, it, again, it was that quasi government role, which then caused their followers to turn even more towards them right. um, to be able to do that. So I, I, you know, I'm not, we shouldn't be surprised to see, um, you know, other alternative governmental groups and things doing the same thing in an environment like this. And I think this is the real danger uh, going forward is, look, we already know that this is going to have a crippling uh, effect on the, on the world economy, right? It already has. It's, it's, yep. and, the, and, the, and it's going to last for an extended period of time. The, you know, we're not going to bounce back quickly. And we know that when there is economic depression um, in countries that these types of you know, you know, semi-autonomous or autonomous actors and, and, and non-state actors even gain a bigger role and they look to fill those voids and, and people when they're facing economic uh, distress are going to look to groups like this even more. So, so there is a real, I think that is the real danger in the, in the near future is these groups are going to have opportunities to recruit a lot more, you know, followers into their, into their ranks um, because a lot of these governments, even the economic, the, the economies in some of these countries are just going to be so depressed for such a, you know, a, 
a long period of time that um, it's, it's going to open it up for even more of that going forward. Yeah, this, that's right. It's, it's state stability. It's, you know, without that, that state stability, whether it's caused by, you know, a virus in this case, or we've, we've seen it before being caused by, by food price spikes or being caused by uh, droughts, climate change, these sorts of things that, that affects stability and that, that can drive this unrest in, in places that are, are, it's really difficult to predict in advance. And so, you know, of course we, we may start looking around and say, oh, you know, these, these already unstable areas. Well, you know, uh, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't be uh, so sanguine to think that, you know, a place like Iran, which has been hit by, by coronavirus very, very strongly, there, could, there certainly could be um, changes in governance and, and everything because of their perceived failure, right? Oh, absolutely. Look, we already know that the Iranian government was on, uh, on sort of a, a, a tight leash, right? In, in mm-hmm. the sense that, you know, the economic sanctions they've been under for years is crippling the economy. Um, the, the population was already upset. And we, we can, you know, we can argue um, things were probably heading in, in not a good direction. And actually the, the, um, you know, when the U.S. actually killed General Suleiman, that kind of actually temporarily paused some of the some of the internal kind of discourse that was going on. Um, but clearly, you know, as they get if Iranians are frustrated with the results of their government in this, you can you can even see further that eroding. Um, and, you know, we we you know, too many people, I think, tend to think, well, this is great. Right. It's going to erode the Iranian government. And um and, and that's great for us. And, you know, we can finally, you know, get rid of the Ayatollah and the regime in Iran. But at what cost? What? What, what comes after, right? <laughs> and so this is why we always are, I, you know, we always have to be cautious about, um, you know, w- when we think, you know, it's great that, you know, a regime is about to fall. I mean, there's always the, the follow on act and it's not always predictable. It's not always what we want. I mean, look at Afghanistan after the Soviet invasion. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we can't assume that this is just going to end in uh, a democratically, you know, formed government it, that, that, is not what history tells us. So, you know, that, that is a really disturbing or concerning what's happening with COVID and, and how it is going to undermine, you know, we can see it in other countries as well. I mean, even in countries like, like, look at Russia. I mean, Putin is really struggling with the yeah. COVID response in Russia. And I mean, right now, if you're, I mean, I think what, three or four doctors have fallen to their death. I mean, it's, it's, it's clear that he feels that this is a huge threat to him and his long-term legacy. So if it's a threat to somebody like a Putin in Russia, you can imagine in some of these more kind of closer to failed states, what that's going to mean for the leadership in those governments. Right. It's, it's a really interesting thing that it's almost like we've, we've got all of these things bubbling up, but on the other hand, it, it, has been kind of a push pause because under social distancing, the, the classic way of, of exerting people power is people out in the street. Right. And so you don't see the people out in the street, even though, you know, the unrest may be bubbling up beneath. And, and certainly I think we, you see a lot of that sort of online presence happening and, and everything pushing through, but it, it's like, Governments have been able to to utilize the the power of their power to to social distance and to suppress um, protests because, un, under the name of suppressing the virus. So it, there could be a, a 
place down the line where there'll be some significant changes and everything that pop up. Yeah, it could bubble over, right? And and as as restrictions are released, you could see that um, you could completely see that happening, and especially in a place like Iran or or other countries where. Um, yeah, where they, you know, we know that is the only way you're going to get kind of the change is get the kind of the masses kind of protesting and, and, and making their voice heard. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, ISIS. Uh, it, we talked a little bit about ISIS, ISIL uh, in the beginning here. Um, you, you know, American uh, American forces were were heavily in, involved in that fight, but now it seems like they've, they've pulled back some, um, there's been some, some pullback away from Syria back into, into Iraq and some pull out of Iraq. There's planned reduction of, of allied forces, French and UK forces. Um, you know, does, are, are we in danger of um, kind of declaring victory before it's over? Is, you know, with, with COVID kind of pushing pause on all this, is there a danger that that they will come back? Should we should we be worried about this? Um, I think we always have to be worried about it, right? If if anything, our history has taught us is that we tend to believe these fights are over way way before they actually are. Um, and and the case of ISIL, like I, there there is an argument to be made that they are intentionally kind of lying a bit low right now um, mm-hmm. because look, they're 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 very susceptible to this um, in the sense of you you know. These, these are not like their controlled areas do not have great health care, right? So if their fighters get sick, they're, they're you know, they're going to die. They're not going to be able to, to treat right. in the way we would in Western countries. So there's, there's that real danger. You know, they've also, in terms of terrorist attacks, right? Like there, there's fewer targets. I mean, people are not out in groups. And so right. you can't have that spectacular kind of terrorist attack um, that you would normally have when people aren't gathering in large groups. So that's, so, uh, so I, I think, they much like other groups are taking a strategic pause, assessing what this means. Um, but they're certainly not just going to go away after this is done. And I do fear that we are, um, you know, we've kind of let Turkey have its way in Northern yeah. Syria now and that, and that we think they can handle it. I don't know if they're really in a position to be able to handle that, the organization long-term. Um, yep. And Russia, I think will get tired of, of the involvement. Yeah. So yeah, that that's led to a lot of the 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 push back and forth between Turkey and Russia, uh, and and the the strife between the two of them. Uh, yeah, it, it it is a challenge, and we we have to you know make sure we keep our eye on on the prize here, and 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 ensure that that something like that doesn't go away. Uh, it's not uh, unfortunately, uh, this is not something where where you can simply say. Right, we've killed them all, and and now now we have yeah, to go. Right. Yeah, because these things are are you know uh, they they go to ground and they get get uh, you know pushed away and and yeah, and I think figure out a way to, to pop up in a different place. Yeah, the way you're describing it, I think, is the way you have to think about it. Is you know you you try to you try to suppress them and, and weaken them. Um, but it's like a whack-a-mole. You know, they're going to pop up in some other form somewhere else, and so you have to be prepared to deal with that. The key is being nimble enough to deal with that before it becomes a large problem like we had with when ISIL appeared this last time, right? Like, I mean, that this was, we weren't prepared for it. We left Iraq, you know, on not great terms. And then, you know, they rose and, and before we really could really understand what was happening, they were already had a foothold and, and became a much costlier and longer fight to, to, you know, kind of put them back into check. Um, I think we've done a, 
fairly good job of doing that, but but it's certainly never in a in a situation. You know, we're never in a position where it's probably completely over, right? It's going to morph yeah. into something else that we don't realize what it is yet. Yeah. Well, along these lines, um, you know, uh, we always like to ask a question at the end of end of our podcast here, uh, and. and I think you're actually very well placed to to do this because you know you were a professor, taught class at West Point. Uh, what would you be teaching now to uh, cadets at West Point or or other people who, in five or ten years, are going to have to be dealing with the the national security challenges down the road? What would you say to them that the headlines will be in five or ten years? Uh, that they're going to have to be worrying about, they're going to have to be thinking about in terms of countering violent extremism, what will have happened in these five years uh, that they're going to have to be thinking about? Will coronavirus be be one of these things that we forget about or will it be one of these big turning points? Yeah, no, I. it's a great, you know, one is uh, the first thing I'd be talking about and I talk about all the time now is China, 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 China. Um, <laughs> China China has an uncanny ability of taking situations like this and using them to their advantage. And I have no doubt they're doing that right now. And look, we have been on this kind of slow pace uh, towards confrontation with China. And I'm fearful that that is continuing given the current state of situation right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's an effort to blame them for this. It, it, look, we, we all, the Chinese bear a responsibility for their lack of knowledge or excuse me, lack of transparency when this first happened and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, But I worry about the rhetoric around blaming China and and we're seeing the kind of the reverse. And, um, but we, we, we seem to be on this inevitable march towards great power competition that could get worse. And I, I, so I, I, you know, I, I would be encouraging them all to learn Chinese. I would encourage them all to be studying Chinese history. I mean, this Mm -hmm. is going to be, this is going to be the 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 the, the global right competition that we're going to be dealing with. Yes. Underneath that, though, that's the larger context. I think underneath, I, COVID would certainly be something. Look, pandemics, I think, are something that we're going to continue to face in this in this world. Right. We we clearly understand now that nobody is kind of immune um, from a pandemic that happens anywhere in the world, um, and it within a matter of, of a very short period of time, it can spread. That has to change, at least, you know, if I was talking to, especially to, to young, soon-to-be officers right now, that may impact how they are training and preparing their, their forces for, you know, how they're going to fight in the world. You know, I have no doubt that every terrorist group right now is, is you know, looking at bioterrorism huh, as something yeah. that they could actually maybe utilize. And, you know, I still think that's a, a really difficult one to to get your hands around. And I don't think it's like something that we're going to see in the short term, but mm-hmm. clearly this is going to embolden groups to go after those areas. So, so pandemic and, and, and the fallouts from that, um, I think are going to be something that, you know, we're going to be facing for, for a long time to come. Um, and, and we have to prepare and, and deal with that. You know, you got to have an effective military that can withstand these types of situations and still be effective enough to carry on the fight. Um, that they're going to need to do uh, against threats around the world. And I think that's, that's, that's an area, you know, we, we haven't dealt with this, right. As a military in probably hundreds of years, like I, I I was thinking about, about it today, you know, malaria, right. We had to overcome malaria when we were, we were dealing in South America and 
Um, but we really haven't had to deal with this from a military preparedness perspective in any modern time. So there's no kind of institutional memory right now. And this is really disrupting how, you know, we think about our role in the world and what we have to do to prepare for that. So Sure. Yeah, of course. I mean, during, during the Civil War, of course, the, more than twice as many soldiers died uh, of, of, uh, of illness yeah. on the battlefield than, than battlefield deaths. Yeah. But that hasn't been the case since, like, yeah, like you said, since 100 or so years ago. Yeah, probably it was the Spanish flu, right? Was the last yeah. kind of big, you know, issue that we dealt with as a, a you know, during a war, right? It was yeah. in the middle. Of, um, but we, we haven't seen anything like this. We're not really prepared for it as a force. And, and we're going to have to rethink our readiness around these, these type of issues. Um, yeah, of course, the yeah. Navy's been frontline on this with Captain Crozier and, yeah. and the Teddy Roosevelt. But but certainly it's hard to social distance in a tank. Hard to you social can't, you distance. You can't, right. Yeah. And so, you know, this is going to become a reality that they're going to have to, young leaders are going to have to deal with in terms of like, you know, the health of their force will become even more of a, uh, you know, even more of an important aspect of what they're doing. Um, Cause you can't, you know, the last thing you, you can do is go to, you know, like you can't run an aircraft carrier on 50% strength, right? Like yeah. it's impossible to do that. Um, so you, you're going to have to figure out ways to be able to deal with it in this type of an environment. Yeah. That, that buzzword that's used a lot readiness uh, isn't just about, you know, training tempo and everything. It's about actually having enough people who can uh, toe the line and, and be ready to go. Yeah. And that, you know, that's clearly at risk now um, in an environment like this. Um, and, and I don't think the services right now have a great, solution for it. Uh, I, I, I'm sure they will, they will adapt. They, the one thing they're good at is they're good at figuring out these things. And I suspect there's already really smart people right now figuring out how they can, you know, operate and still protect their, protect the force. Um, but it will take some time as it's taking everybody to, to learn the new reality we're facing. So, yeah, but, but then pretty soon the whole bureaucracy will be into it and they'll have a whole pamphlets on it. Right. Yeah, and, exactly. And everybody will be <laughs> completely protected. Well, you know, I, it's just, I, you know, I commented to my wife the other day, just, you know, you know, even simple things like we'll never not have hand sanitizer everywhere you turn when you're out in public now, right? Like everywhere totally. you look, there's a, I, you couldn't, I, I can't remember a business that had hand sanitizer out. Now it's like they're everywhere. And I'm like, well, why weren't we doing that before? Right? I mean, it's not like humans have not, we just started passing germs and viruses to one another. We've been doing this for since our creation, but, but now it's like, we've suddenly all come to the realization that if I just sterilize and, you know, I don't touch other people that much, I can actually prevent this from happening. So that's going to change the way we all interact. I think yeah. going forward, maybe for the better. Um, yeah. And there'll be some good things that come out of this. So, and so that might, that might be one of them. So I, you know, again, you got to embrace the fact that we're in this environment and you're going to adapt to it and human beings will adapt just like we have always had to adapt. That's right. But the, yeah. the last point I was just going to make too, I think yeah, the, it's related, I think, to the pandemic issue. I think it's the climate issue, right? The issue mm -hmm. of climate change. Um, look, I mean, we saw, right, we've seen like there were places in China that had no smog when they were in, when they were closed down, right? We've seen, yeah. we've seen waterways get clean when, so it, you know, unfortunately, we know there's still folks out there that that can argue the science on climate change, and whether it's man-made or not. But I, you don't, you only have to look as far as this pandemic to see that that is a reality. And uh, and I, I do fear that this focus, the short term on COVID, we've kind of lost the bubble a little bit on the larger climate issue. 
Um, and, yeah. and there might be some, you know, it's going to be difficult to get people focused on that again, um, because I think a lot rightfully is focused on pandemic and pandemic spread. And so, but, but look, pandemic and we know pandemics are closely related to climate change. I mean, this is all interrelated. This is That's not, right. What, uh, what I hope is that it, it just brings more of a focus back in on science. Yeah. Right. So that it's, you know, listen to the scientists, whether it's the, the scientists who are doctors and do, you know, viral research or whether it's climate scientists who can, you know, predict and think through what, what future climate's going to look like. Yeah. And uh, honestly, I worry a lot about this year uh, that, you know, kind of this intersection, if we get a, an extreme weather event, uh, hurricanes in particularly vulnerable places, while uh, coronavirus is still uh, a problem, uh, it, it could, you know, kind of, kind of be one of these threat multiplier situations. Yeah, can you, I mean, imagine the situation of, of uh, a large shelter, right? Um, yeah. Like we saw after Katrina and, and thousands of people crammed into a shelter and, and, and you're going to have coronavirus president and, you know, you, yeah. could, you, could, you could have massive infection rates as a result of that. Um, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Superdome in New Orleans was you not know. a good place to, to social distance, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, no, I, 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 and I think that is, uh, that is a big concern. And the, the science has got to come back mainstream and we, we've got to start talking about these things from a, look, we, we, can, we can have value, you know, we can have uh, uh, various, you know, differences on the political aspects of it and, and the correct response, whether we're going too far or not far enough, but we've got to get, we've got to get come to an agreement on a shared set of, of like, at least the shared set of science and facts. Right. And then we can, then we right. can have a, right. we can have a debate over, you know, whether we're going too far, but you, you, we can't, if we're, if we're having a debate about the science then we're not going to make any progress. On That's that. right. There, there are, there are values that, that should be decided in a political system. You know, right. how much risk are you willing to bear? but you shouldn't be able to argue there is no risk right you know uh viruses don't don't have don't right. have any harm you know yeah. We're, yeah we're seeing that right now right we're having this debate on opening up and and clearly opening up means more exposure and more death yeah but there is a valid i think argument to be made about the long-term costs of economic instability as it relates to health, as it relates to, you know, suicide, we can have, and that's a valid discussion to totally. have. Um, but it has to be done in the context with understanding that, you know, it, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, well, we want to get the, we want to completely open up and we don't want to have anybody. No, we're going to have to have some trade off here and we have to decide what we're willing to accept as a society. Um, yep. And I fear we're like, we're not having that conversation, right? We're having it based on, where we think we should be, um, and it's not uh, it's not productive. And I think we're 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 hiding ourselves from the true kind of risks that we're facing um, as a result of it because I, I, people don't want to have the difficult conversation based on the science and the you know exactly and the right. data. Exactly right. Well, Ken, uh, we've we've kind of walked around the world here, talked about threats and vulnerabilities. Uh, uh, you know going a wide-ranging conversation. It was great. Thanks for being with us. Hey, no, I always enjoy it. Thanks again for having me. Andrew.